Hey everybody, this is Pastor Chad, and welcome to the Way Radio Podcast. Today I wanted to discuss the sufficiency of Christ, and the reason I want to get into this right at the beginning in episode two is because one thing that I've learned and I've seen is the fact that the common denominator in just about all the issues that we deal with through the Recovery Reformation Ministry especially uh, come down to the sufficiency of Christ and also the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture, Christ's Word in Scripture. And the reason that that is is because as you study uh, the prevalence of secular humanism in the modern church, the recovery industry in the modern church, if you're familiar with the New Apostolic Reformation and just the uh, rampant heresy that is springing forth from that movement and the damage that's being done all over the world now because of the rapid increase of the New Apostolic Reformation uh, through churches like Bethel, uh, through Hillsong Music, Bethel Music, Jesus Culture. What you come to see when you get down to the core of it is if the church truly believed in the sufficiency of Christ, had faith in Christ, and the authority and sufficiency of his word, most of what we have to fight against in the modern church, for those that are striving to get back to biblical doctrine, to reform the church and get back to what it's supposed to be, it all comes down to the sufficiency of Christ, the authority and sufficiency of his word in scripture. So I just wanted to get into a message today on the sufficiency of Christ, and this is actually from a sermon that I preached on a couple months ago uh, by the same title, and I've just changed the notes a little bit to make it a little bit more podcast-friendly. But I think it's something that is definitely important, and I'm hoping that as we move forward in the podcast that this episode especially, episode two, will be an episode that people come back to refer to because you'll hear me constantly talk about the authority and sufficiency of Scripture and the sufficiency of of Christ uh, through this podcast. So when we speak of the authority and sufficiency of Scripture, which you'll hear a lot of really solid biblical teachers talk about, the authority and sufficiency of Scripture stands on the authority and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And every heresy in the history of the church has gone against the sufficiency of Christ in some way. If you look back through church history, you'll always see that the sufficiency of Christ is something that's attacked or downplayed or try to uh, be gotten rid of, whether it's rejection of the Trinity or the deity of Christ, denial of the efficacy and the sufficiency of the atonement, uh, claiming that we have to either have works over grace or works with grace, you know, like uh, religions like Mormonism teach. It all comes back to an attack on the sufficiency of Christ. But before we get into the sufficiency of Christ, let's even go one level further and look at the preeminence of Christ, and then we'll look at the sufficiency of Christ. And the reason I want to start with the preeminence of Christ is because if we really understand the person and work of Jesus Christ and who he truly is, the second person of the Godhead, it makes it much easier to understand the sufficiency of Christ. And I'm going to use Colossians 1, 15 through 20, which says, He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. 
And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So let's just go through this section by section. He is the image of the invisible God. God the Father, who is otherwise invisible, is revealed to us by the Son. The only way to see God is to see Jesus Christ. And the only way to see Jesus Christ is through the Scriptures. So you have Scriptures, Christ, or you could say Gospel, Christ, the Father. So what that tells us is if we truly want to know God, there is no other way to know God other than through Jesus Christ. So any conceptual idea of God outside of the revelation of Jesus Christ is false, and it's idolatry. And then it says he's the firstborn of all creation. Now this is used erroneously to reject the deity of Christ uh, and the Trinity by some false religions. They're saying, well, it says he's firstborn. Like the Jehovah's Witnesses will use this to say, why does it say he's firstborn? He can't be God if he was created or he was born. But what it's talking about when it says the firstborn of all creation is that Christ has the honor of the principal heir in the family of God. Jesus was in the beginning with God, and he was God, and he became flesh and dwelt among us. But because we, as believers, are adopted into the family of God through Christ, he has the position that the firstborn has in a, you know, in a, in a normal human family. But he was not actually born. He was not created. He is God. He is the second person of the Trinity. So believers have been adopted into the family of God, and we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Romans eight sixteen through 17 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And then it continues, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Christ is a sustaining universal force by which all things exist and all things hold together. He is Lord of all, and this is very important to understand. He's Lord of all, not just believers. On Judgment Day, the Bible says every knee will bow to him on that day. So it, what the point I'm trying to get across is you can't make a decision to make Jesus Lord. He already is Lord of believers and unbelievers. And on Judgment Day, every knee will bow. Those that have rejected him in abject horror because it's now too late and salvation is, is, is impossible. For those that have trusted in Christ and we stand in his name on Judgment Day, we will bow in adoration, praise, and worship of him. And he is the head of the body, the church. All that the church is and does must be to his honor and glory. Ephesians 1, 21 through 23 says, Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now I'll share with you a very powerful question, question to share with somebody 
that is in a religion or a belief system or like a program like Alcoholics Anonymous or Celebrate Recovery that is based on Alcoholics Anonymous. One thing I ask these people quite often when they claim to be Christian, but they're a part of these apostate religions or programs or heretical religions or programs, is how does being a part of something that's contrary to Christ, contrary to the gospel, contrary to his word and scripture, how is that bringing glory and honor to Christ. Very important thing to bring up because that is what we should be doing if we are part of the Christian church. He is head of the body, the church. It continues, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Jesus's resurrection was the beginning of the new creation. He makes all things new. He is the firstborn from the dead and those who believe and trust in him will be raised by that same resurrecting power. That in everything he might be preeminent. Christ is Lord of all. He's Lord of, creator of, sustainer of the universe and everything in it. Is there a stronger claim to a sufficiency than that in everything he is preeminent? In everything he is preeminent. This, I'm hoping this is giving whoever listens to this podcast a greater uh, adoration and respect for the honor and the glory and the preeminence and the holiness of Jesus Christ. And then remember, Acts 4.12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under, under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now this is extremely important with the prevalence of false teachings. And you can ask many who claim to be Christians in the modern church who Jesus is, and their explanation of Jesus will not line up with the Christ that we can only come to know through Scripture. Very important problem. A concept of a Jesus conveyed through a false gospel can be accepted by anyone. There is no veil or blindness to be overcome. There is no cost to count. There is no regeneration, no transformation, and there is also no salvation. We must believe in, trust in, and know the one true Christ because no other name has the power to save. And if you read ancient writers, uh, uh, extra-biblical writers that were outside of the biblical canon, someone like Josephus, the name Jesus comes up quite often in those times. It was a common name. So just to say, I believe in Jesus, that could, that could mean any, anybody or any, any, any person in history that had that name. We have to understand who Christ truly is, who the Son of God truly is, who the Messiah truly is, who came and suffered and died and rose again for his elect children. Very important to understand. Continues, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Christ is God. Jesus is sufficient for the salvation of those sinners he came to save. And without his divinity, without the Trinity, the gospel is void. The atonement is not sufficient and condemnation remains. If you take the deity out of Christ and you say, I believe in a Christ, but I don't believe he's God. I believe he was created. You've just nullified the gospel message. You've corrupted it, and it's no longer the true gospel. I just had a conversation about this with a Jehovah's Witness a few weeks ago. Very important to understand. And to prove that he is God, John 1, 1 and 2 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And that's actually John 1, 1 and 2, and then it's verse 14 that I've put together there. And it continues, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is a fascinating portion of Scripture, and it's something that I love to consider once in a while. When mankind fell, corruption of all creation came in because of the fall of man. Romans eight nineteen through 23 says, For the creation waits with eager longing for, this, for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So even creation waits for the return of Christ, for the culmination of all things, the culmination of the gospel message. And we are reconciled and have peace with the Father only through the Son. John fourteen six says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is very important as well, the exclusive and narrow way of the Christian faith. Christianity is intolerant, of anything contrary to it. There is no other gods, there is no other way to be saved except through the person and work of Jesus Christ, through trusting faith in him. So that's just a little picture that I've tried to paint of the preeminence of Christ. So now let's look at the sufficiency of Christ. And like I said, this is something that I'm going to refer to a lot on this podcast. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to use a section a portion of Colossians chapter 2 to show four heretical concepts that Paul the Apostle addresses in Colossians, and then he overcomes by responding to each of these heresies by proclaiming the sufficiency of Christ. And the first of these false teachings is Gnosticism, which is a secret or it's a special knowledge required for salvation. It's empty, it's false, it's philosophical uh, arguments that are that are used to deceive people and to lead them away from the truth of the gospel. Gnosticism has been around since the beginning of the church. Colossians 2.8, Paul writes, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And he answers this issue in Colossians 2.9 and 10, Paul responds to that false teaching by saying, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. All, so what Paul's telling us is all of the wisdom and knowledge for salvation is in Jesus Christ. We do not need human tradition. We do not need human philosophy. We do not need anything of this world. We have been filled Beyond capacity, our cup overflows with wisdom and knowledge for salvation in Jesus Christ. So we have no need for anything like Gnosticism. And again, to go back to the Alcoholics Anonymous thing, I spent 13 years in that program. Gnosticism is a huge part of that program, but it comes from a lot of different angles because in that program, people are into New Age 
philosophy. They're into uh, Buddhism. Some people are into Hinduism. Uh, some people are atheistic and just into their own made-up uh, idea of whatever it is they believe in. It's pretty much just anything goes. So there's a lot of bizarre philosophical teachings in there that contradict scripture. But as Christians, we can rest in the fact that we have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And then Paul addresses legalism. And legalism is any theory theory of salvation that adds something to the completed works of Christ. In the following passage, Paul will explain the sufficiency of Christ's work on the cross on our behalf, and then he warns against legalistic teachings. Now, I sort of want you to keep in mind, when it comes to legalism, the thing that always comes to my mind is Roman Catholicism and Mormonism. Mormonism says uh, you're saved by grace after all you can do. So your works have to be added to what Christ did on the cross. Sorry, that's completely contrary to Christian doctrine. And anybody familiar with Roman Catholicism knows that it's based heavily on the idea that you have to work for your salvation. It's very, uh, it's a bondage that are placed on those poor people's shoulders by the papacy. Let's look at uh, legalism. Paul writes in Colossians 2, 11 through 17. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And then he says in verse 16, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So he's saying you don't have to have external observances. You don't have to practice these religious rituals in order to be saved. We trust in Christ, we rely on him, we have faith in him, and through him we are saved and forgiven of our trespasses. There is no place for legalism in Christianity. The fourth heretical concept that Paul addresses is mysticism. And uh, false teachers were encouraging worship of angels or elemental spirits, and that's what you're going to hear Paul address. In Colossians 2, 18 through 19, he says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous, sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a gross growth that is from God. So these false teachers had claimed to have received a vision from God. It says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. This verse very heavily reminds me of what we see through the New Apostolic Reformation movement, through the, through the churches like Bethel. This is how this is carried on today. They constantly talk about visions, new revelations. Um, they're always talking about angels 
And you'll see in their leaders that they are puffed up without reason by their sensuous minds. There is a lot of arrogance in that movement. So this speaks very directly to something that we're dealing with on a large scale today. The personal work of Christ is already revealed by God in his final word, the scriptures. We need nothing beyond the scriptures. If you want to know who Christ is, if you want to have an experience of the Holy Spirit, if you want to understand uh, what it is to have a supernatural communion with Christ, you cannot get that truly outside of God's revealed word in scripture by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's just the way it is. And then the last point that Paul addresses is asceticism. False teachings regarding not eating certain things and not doing certain things. Sort of, I guess you could say, almost you could take asceticism to the point of uh, torturing oneself uh, in the name of spirituality or trying to serve God. You see this a lot uh, in India uh, through the Hindu religion and through the yogis that do these bizarre things to their bodies. Uh, Those are aesthetics or ascetics. I apologize. Colossians 2, 20-23 says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is huge, a huge portion of scripture for those that are struggling with any kind of addiction or sinful habit. Only one thing is effective in overcoming the sinful desires of the flesh, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. Our union with Christ, the cross, and his resurrection. Christ is sufficient for the believer in their struggle against sin. He is absolutely sufficient for overcoming anything that we struggle against. Daily fellowship with Christ, feeding on and strengthened by the word and prayer. And by these things, we can subdue the flesh and we can live holy lives for Christ. He is sufficient for anything we struggle against. So what's important to remember is the fact that these four things that I've mentioned, Gnosticism, legalism, mysticism, asceticism. The elements of these heresies have never left the church for good. They've continued in different forms down through the history of the church, and they're all active in much of what passes for the modern church today. And a lot of them are growing rapidly, like I said, because of the prevalence of false teachings um, and heresies that pass as Christianity uh, because of uh, such a large percentage of of professing Christians that are biblically ignorant nowadays, I think is the reason that that is. So what we face today is very similar to what the Colossians faced. So many of the issues and heresies that we face in the modern church come down to a lack of faith in or no, no understanding of the sufficiency of Christ and by extension the authority and sufficiency of Scripture. We can't hound on this point enough. We have got to understand when in Psalm 23 where it says, The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. What's that telling us? Because Christ is our shepherd, we couldn't imagine that we would need or want anything beyond him. So think of what a disgrace it is when someone who's suffering from some kind of sinful problem, whether it's drinking, drugs, sex, stealing, lying, whatever it is, overeating, whatever it is that somebody's dealing with, 
And they go to a church, and a church, instead of taking them into the gospel, introducing them to the personal work of Jesus Christ through the gospel, trusting in the authority and sufficiency of word of, of his word, they take them into a program, something that's based on the philosophies of man. Or they take them into something that's psychological. This is the point that I'm going to try to hit so hard with this podcast, is we are missing so much in the modern church. There's so many blessings that, that, aren't, even being ma- that aren't even being enjoyed by so much of the modern church simply because there's a radical, severe, distressing lack of even understanding the sufficiency of Christ and the authority and sufficiency of his word. What Christ accomplished on the cross, his death and his resurrection is sufficient to overcome the separation between God and sinners. Christ is all we need. But so much, like I said earlier, of what we have in Jesus Christ is missed through lack of faith. As a result of being united to Christ, believers have perfection and fullness. So much of the Holy Spirit passing from the loving hand of God through the blessed and worthy hand of Christ is stifled by the contemporary church's compromising and capitulation to the things of this world. God's grace and love and blessings and glory are poured out to us through Jesus Christ. Faith is increased by prayer, fellowship with Christ, abiding in Him and His Word, the ultimate knowledge of God is Christ. He is sufficient. And folks, another thing that you just, I pray people will understand who listen to this is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is perfect. Doesn't need to be added to, doesn't need to have anything taken away. We don't have to worry about presenting it in a more modern context. It's the same gospel that was preached from the day the church was born on Calvary or when Christ rose from the tomb. When he instituted his church, that gospel message has gone forth. It's never had to change. And any time we change it, we're doing it uh, through humanistic ways, and we're degrading it. Preach the gospel, understand the authority and sufficiency of God's word in Scripture, and most of all, understand the authority and sufficiency of Christ. Have faith in that, and proclaim the gospel from that spirit. The gospel is perfect. The gospel alone is sufficient to rule the lives of Christians everywhere. Any additional rules made to govern men's conduct added nothing to the perfection already found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a quote from John Wycliffe in the 1300s. I'll repeat that again. It's it's such a great quote. The gospel alone is sufficient to rule the lives of Christians everywhere. Any additional rules made to govern men's conduct added nothing to the perfection already found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Beautiful. The gospel is perfect and nothing compares to it. There is no need for anything else for any reason. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not opinion, it's not theory, and it's not philosophy. The gospel is the only infallible and pure truth, the revelation of the eternal mind of God. Think of that. The gospel is the revelation of the eternal mind of God. And I'm going to close with Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Folks, Christ is sufficient for our salvation and for our sanctification. I did want to mention also before I close today's podcast that we have an online Bible study. Uh, that's Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Uh, that's open to anyone. It, it's basically called the Recovery Reformation Online Bible Study. But one thing you'll learn is addicts don't need special treatment. 
alcoholics don't need special treatment. Bible studies benefit everyone, and everyone's dealing with some kind of sin. So we have a great mix of people that that have come into that meeting. I'm hoping that meeting will start to really grow now that we've got the podcast going. But that's 7 p.m. To to join that meeting, just go to recoveryreformation.org, and you can scroll down, and it'll say online discussion. You click that, it'll take you right into a Google Hangout to join that meeting. Uh, You can find us on the web. We have one website and two addresses that point to it because there's different Uh, parts of the website. You can either go to the way, the letter r122.org. And if you're wondering where that address came from, it's because Romans 12.2 is our mission verse. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then the other website is recoveryreformation.org. On Facebook, we have a group for The Way Radio, just for this podcast. It's called The Way Radio Group. You can just search that on Facebook. I'm hoping that that becomes an extension of this podcast. If you have any questions about what I spoke about today in this ish, in this episode or any other episodes, join that group on Facebook. Post, post questions in there. If you have something that you don't agree with, we can talk about that in there. Um, I'm just hoping that we can take each episode and just uh, expand on it through uh, the, way, the Way Radio group on Facebook. So I'm hoping that becomes a very dynamic, uh, edifying uh, channel that, that leads out from this podcast. We also have a page for Recovery Reformation. You can just search Recovery Reformation and then the Way uh, R12-2 R12, um, two, like you would write a Bible verse, is our page for our church. If any questions and comments, I'd love to hear from you. Please email me at chad at the way, the letter r122.org. I'll do my best to get back to you right away. And if you would like to talk to me about possibly coming on the show, if you have been set free from any kind of addiction or sin or, you know, the things that the world does to us through the and you've been set free through the amazing gospel of Jesus Christ, you know, I'd love to have people on the program to share those testimonies because that's what inspires those that are still out there suffering. So I look forward to hearing from you. And until next week, God bless you.